this is the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, created by the team of Becker's Healthcare, a multimedia company devoted to the people who power U.S. healthcare. Four new 15-minute episodes are released daily, containing industry news, analysis, and thought leadership from powerful healthcare decision makers. Support our show by leaving it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms you use. It's a chance to tell us what you like about the show and act on your feedback. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Shelly Turk, Divisional Senior Vice President of Healthcare Delivery at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois. Shelly, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Now, I know there's a lot happening in the healthcare space right now, and particularly, you know, looking where health plans are growing and evolving. And so I'm really excited for our conversation and to learn more about what you're doing at Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois. But before we dive into that discussion, could you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Sure. So I've been at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois for nine years, um, but I've only been in my current role for about five months. So since April. Prior to taking on this new business role, I was vice president and general counsel for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois, and I've got nearly 20 years as a lawyer. So before I was at Blue Cross, I did litigation for payers and hospitals. Um, The hospital cases were kind of around birthing and infant um, med mal kinds of cases, defending those hospitals, some merger and acquisition work with hospitals, false claims act, that sort of thing. And early in my career, I actually helped hospitals to um, build out long-term acute care hospitals. So all the way from kind of picking out the land or the space to um, their Medicare certification, medical bylaws, all of those kinds of things. Um, So I've had a long legal career helping payers and hospitals navigate healthcare issues. That's great to hear. And what great experience coming into your current role with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois. Now, what are some of your top priorities for the rest of the year? What are you spending a lot of your time on? Sure. You know, ultimately, I want to leave healthcare better than I found it for more than 8.8 million members. And every time I say that number, I'm always floored because it's just so significant. Um, we process over half a million claims every day in Illinois. And across all of HCSC, we're processing more than a million claims a day. So this job is a big responsibility for our members and key stakeholders. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, being protective of that and really um, leaning into the providers and their needs and kind of understanding that in the best way that I can. So my first priority has been really listening tours and sessions, both Chicago and downstate. So, um, We are going around to different providers, sitting down with them and really asking them, what is most meaningful to you right now? What do you want us to know as we work to partner together? And the healthcare system is under tremendous pressure right now. There's not a day that goes by that I don't talk with a hospital or provider who doesn't talk to me about labor costs or the labor shortage, um, union negotiations, um, uncompensated care, inflation, their payer mix. You know, we have a lot of, for instance, they might say we have a lot of Medicaid um, patients. And so when we think about reimbursement, we're always looking to ensure that our mix from commercial, Medicaid, Medicare, kind of looks and feels like it should for the neighborhoods and communities that we're in. 
the cost of rural specialty care is top of mind. Um, and even conversations about physical plant deterioration. I did a tour at a hospital not that long ago, and they said, you know, this one tower really probably needs to be knocked down, but we're at capacity, the beds are full, we don't really see a path forward to being able to kind of upgrade this particular tower anytime in the near future. So even physical plant kinds of conversations come up and just the need for profitable service lines when they're thinking about everything from um, what their members need to kind of what areas the hospital is best at. Those kinds of conversations, I think, are just critically important for us as a health insurer to understand because relationships and the sense for the spaces of healthcare and kind of listening to all of those different pieces helps us to develop programs and incentives um, that work for our providers. That's really the first kind of priority that I'm that I'm focused on. Well, that's amazing. And I can imagine that you it really opens the door for some very um, interesting conversations with the hospitals and health systems and healthcare providers. And as you mentioned, being able to, you know, find solutions um, for, for some of that. I know it's a hard fix overall, but certainly, you know, being able to move closer together in the goal of serving patients, it seems like it would be very helpful and beneficial to have those lines of communication. For sure. And it's really important to understand where providers are at, because when we think about finding new pathways to value, each provider is at a different place, right? So we know that, you know, we've got providers on different places or in different places on the healthcare continuum and on the value-based care continuum. Some of them are ready to kind of take on value-based care, um, everything from you know pay for performance or pay for quality to bundles to episodes of care, and then even shared savings and shared risk. Some are not, right? Some are not ready for capitation. Some are not ready for patient-centered medical homes. And so we have to really be patient and understand that there's a time for adjustment and then really kind of build into that investment space with them. Um, you know, I've looked at some of the numbers and in 2021, the latest that I saw was that we're running at about 18% of GPD on, on healthcare. And if you look back at where we've been back in the 60s, it was at 5%. So we're continuing to grow exponentially in our healthcare spend. And part of that is really based on our kind of traditional fee-for-service model where you know, more, more costs are spent and paid for increasing services, right? So if someone does an MRI, they're going to get maybe, I'll just make it up, $300 in year one. By year five, there's inflation, there are additional reimbursement increases. Maybe they're getting, you know, $400 for that same MRI. And so what we're really looking to do is find new pathways to value. We're always balancing access, cost, and quality, which is really the iron triangle of healthcare. You know, you move one of those axes and the other one moves as well. You know, reimbursement can't be too low for providers not to be able to survive. Costs can't be so high that employers can't afford it. And providers need to be committed to all types of members. And then you also have quality that has to be front and center. Health equity has to have a seat at the table because we can't leave behind the underserved. Um, 
you know, it's pretty striking that the zip code that you live in um, dictates a good percentage of where you're going to be on the healthcare uh, spectrum. Your zip code matters. People living in poverty are um, incredibly more likely to be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, for instance. And the question is why? Well, underserved communities have less access to healthy food, affordable housing, safety, um, parks, green space, transportation, you know, all of those kinds of things, and obviously less access to healthcare. So when you're thinking about all of the different pieces that come together, we have to collectively do better. And to add to that complexity, as I was mentioning, you have providers that are all in differing and varying stages of BBC readiness. And so I think Blue Cross is in a unique position to help. We're member owned. Um, we've been around for more than 80 years, which is just as an incredible period of time. And our goal right now is to meet providers where they are. And that's why these listening sessions are so important because we have to have productive conversations about value, about health equity, social determinants of health, you know, costs and access, kind of holistically looking at these, these issues. And if we can build reimbursement models for providers that address many of those things, we're ultimately providing significant value to our consumers as the end user. Um, and part of these listening sessions too is really understanding the differences between providers. So, you know, a, a teaching hospital in Chicago is going to have a much different point of view on value-based care potentially than maybe an individual practitioner or a rural, um, rural provider or hospital that we have downstate. So as we're thinking about the needs of different providers, our programs have to reflect kind of the, the, the needs and capabilities of each different type of provider. And sometimes that's also geography and, and what they're ready for. So we're looking to kind of build these new programs and have innovation that bends the cost curve. It increases value to customers. You know, we're meeting the needs of our employer groups and our members and all of our other key stakeholders. Um, you know, it's a tall order, but that's that's really from a kind of priority standpoint, I think where we're where we're really looking to focus. Um, and then on top of that, thinking about how do we support all of our members? And that goes back to the zip code conversation. Um, from my perspective, health and wellness doesn't have one solution because every area is different. Um, people's conditions and diagnoses are different. And so you have to have different kinds of different kinds of solutions um, across the entire state of Illinois. And I see all of these areas that have really like critical needs. So we have obviously urban areas with critical needs. We also have rural areas with critical needs. And one of the ways that Blue Cross is really investing in neighborhoods is through our Blue Door Neighborhood Centers. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done in that space because we're addressing health equity and social determinants of health through those Blue Door Neighborhood Centers. We have one in Morgan Park, we have one in Pullman, we have one in South Lawndale. Um, I'm wondering if I'm forgetting one now. Morgan Park, Pullman, South Lawndale. We also have our um, Pilsen Multilingual Center, which is you know really being built to kind of serve the needs of our members um, who have language um, differences. 
And so all of these kind of different areas, when I think about supporting all of our members through value-based care and kind of how we're uniquely positioned to do that, our Blue Door Neighborhood Centers are a really good example of where we're investing in these kind of additional capabilities to support the other areas that impact healthcare. There's free exercise at the Blue Door Neighborhood Centers. There are computers, there are community services um, where we're making valuable connections with our members. Um, back to school events. I know we just finished a number of back to school events with Chicago Public Schools and also downstate. And, you know, you might ask, well, what does that have to do with healthcare? And I would say it's all intertwined, you know, safety, food, shelter, clean water, access to community resources, being able to exercise in safe places. This, this all ties together from a health and wellness standpoint. And you can't, you can't bifurcate healthcare from all of these different, from all these different areas. Because if you do that, you're effectively saying we're only going to deal with um, the sick and we're not going to focus on how to prevent. I mean, we're used to a system that takes care of people after they're already sick. And I, I think that that's part of what we're working on and part of what we're working to change. That really is amazing. And what a great kind of summary and overview of, of um, just all the different stakeholders that really are important to you in areas that um, are going to make a difference for the future. Shelly, thank you so much for going through that. It sounds like, you know, a lot of big things, a lot of great things are happening at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Illinois. And from your perspective, could you talk through uh, programs or initiatives that have been most needle moving for you this year? Sure. So BBC isn't just about providers providing value from my perspective. It's about what we provide from a value standpoint too. So one of the initiatives that we've rolled out recently is called Blue Approver. And it's an online tool for providers to submit inpatient and outpatient prior authorization requests and to check status on med surge or specialty pharmacy, some BH services, for our Blue Cross commercial non-HMO members. And you might say like, well, is, you know, a technology or an online tool, you know, is that, is that really something that's kind of groundbreaking? And I would say that it really is. And it, it is for a number of different reasons. That real-time connection for prior authorization, 24-7 access, having secure real-time approvals, and to be able to kind of begin treatment right away for those certain conditions, um, is just incredible. It's a benefit for our members. It's a benefit to our providers. And it's something that I'm really, I'm really proud of because I think it provides additional value where um, maybe historically, you know, we didn't have those capabilities. And we're looking to continue to expand Blue Approver for um, PA into other service areas in the future too, you know, once we make sure that everything's working properly and you know we're getting feedback from providers on how to improve so that's been that's been huge i also think our hmo it's been the workhorse of bbc for over 30 years um i always kind of call it like it's the original bbc um it's a delegated model where providers are receiving medical groups are receiving capitation on a per member per month basis and so they really have ownership over outcomes and care pathways for those members. Um, we also have site of service programs that incentivize providers for quality 
um, and really performing certain services at lower cost venues, you know, when it's when it's safe and medically appropriate. So offices, um, outpatient or ambulatory surgery centers, because some of the highest costs of care are inpatient at hospitals. And there are times when we definitely need to utilize our hospitals. They serve an incredible purpose. But there are also times where care can be provided in a more cost-efficient setting. And so we're trying to align incentives with those kinds of, um, you know, kind of measures to make sure that providers are uh, really thinking about where they should be performing certain services and does it make sense to have it in an inpatient setting or could it be done somewhere else in a safe in a safe and medically appropriate way. And then our accountable care organizations are incredible. We have over one and a half million members and 16,000 providers plus um, participating in our accountable care organizations. So these are shared savings and shared loss arrangements um, that we've really continued to improve over time. And we're always looking at these arrangements to say, how can we do better? You know, we're continuing to learn and evolve. And we always say where we can fail fast, let's fail fast and then make improvements. The ACO is an area where we haven't had um, any failures, thank goodness, from my, from, uh, you know, what I, what I, have been engaged in, but we are continuing to make improvements and continuing to, to learn. And we've had a good year with the accountable care organizations. We're looking forward to the next chapter with those. Um, and it's really a space where we've seen some tremendous work being done by our providers. Um, and then finally, we also have episodes of care. So bundles for hips and knees, orthopedic um, types of treatments, uh, we also have maternity, and that's really a situation where the provider says, okay, I'm willing to um, accept this particular reimbursement for this particular episode of care, meaning the entire um, care bundle or the entire treatment. And that's been really successful too. It's another way to empower providers just to be in charge of managing all of the different aspects of that care, including administrative costs, as well as the care itself. Got it. That's fascinating. And I can see all those different initiatives are very, I'm sure, intertwined in terms of being able to overall better serve the community. And, you know, really, it's awesome to hear kind of that both focus in terms of, you know, making sure the hospitals, health systems, healthcare providers are in a good space and providing value and transitioning to that more value-based care, but then too, that the patients and um, members are taken care of and, and really are able to fit well within those programs. So that's, you know, exciting to hear and certainly um, seems like where healthcare is headed. For sure. It's really incentives for high quality, efficient care. And that's really what it is, you know, providers being paid for outcomes um, and providers are generally open to it. It's just a matter of degrees, right? Like there are just sure. some that are ready for more responsibility and some that um, are on the path to that responsibility. Absolutely, for sure. And and certainly, you know, it's, it's great that you're able to be supportive along the journey, especially as I'm sure there are many and many different places um, and, and abilities to kind of um, jump in at any given point within that pathway to full value-based care. So um, that, that's awesome to hear. I think before we wrap up our conversation, I, I just wanted to ask, how are you thinking about growth and member experience for the future? Mm -hmm. 
We're always looking to grow value-based care and we're always looking to determine what programs work best and think about new programs. One that I'm interested in that I think um, would be a great one for our members and I'm, I'm hoping that I can kind of keep looking at it and keep pushing it forward, you know, with any initiative, sometimes it takes years. Um, but I'd like to really look at an obesity value-based care program and develop solutions that really address the root cause. You know, we have a lot of programs that focus on maybe diabetes or sleep apnea or high blood pressure, but they don't necessarily get to kind of this holistic view of obesity, which is really well positioned for a value-based care type of model because you can evaluate people over time. And having that continuing continuum of being able to look end to end at an individual's experience from an obesity standpoint, understanding that it's a chronic condition, um, just really lends itself well to value-based care. And so I'd like to really dig into how do we kind of develop programs that address this critical issue. And obesity is interesting because, you know, it's probably the last condition that people tend to think, well, well, this is this is this individual's fault. If they just had more willpower, or if they just would do X, Y, and Z, if they just would eat right and exercise, you know, they could fix this for themselves. And I think there's even in the, the medical community a lack of awareness around um, obesity, obesity-related conditions, the fact that this is a chronic condition that needs to be managed, and then even having the language to talk to patients about how to treat the issue. And that's part of the issue too. There isn't really a consensus in the medical community as to how to treat obesity. But we do know that there are holistic groups um, that are treating obesity through behavioral health. Um, so cognitive behavioral therapy, actually thinking about the behaviors and the mental health issues that cause someone to eat more than they need, need in order to survive. And then nutritionists, obviously, there's a physician aspect, there's a medication aspect, and then there's potentially a surgery aspect. And I really think getting to the root of, of what's causing obesity is just, it's critical for our membership and for our employer groups. Um, people are continuing to get additional comorbidities like sleep apnea, high blood pressure, diabetes, joint issues. Um, depression, anxiety, you know, all of these things can can kind of, you know, so many of them can be traced back to um, obesity. And so if we really want to move the needle on this particular issue, um, I think kind of figuring out how we stratify uh, obesity. So like certainly you have people who are overweight, you have people who are morbidly obese, and kind of what's our point of view on on this sort of subset of conditions and members? And, and do we have pathways to really help them and to move the needle forward with our medical professionals um, to grow VBC solutions? So that's something that I'm really looking at from a growth standpoint. Um, again, it's probably several years down the road, but I, I really think that if we start now, we can start to think about the best solutions and where members might have the most success and helping them on that, that journey. And certainly there's a huge health equity component to that because 
you know, if you don't have safe places to exercise and you don't have access to healthy food and you don't have a bus pass to get, you know, transportation somewhere, those are all barriers to being able to address not only your own health care, but also obesity. And so there, there are just a lot of layers, right? And, and you can even go down the rabbit hole and start thinking about pediatric obesity, right? It starts often younger now. Um, and so all of these different factors have to go into any kind of successful BBC program, which is why I think it's going to take a while to think through. And there's also a health insurance product aspect to it because you want members to um, have incentives to continue their journey. Um, for instance, you know, we might have, um, or an, an insurer might have a program that's attached to a health insurance product like Peloton or Apple Watch. It, you know, those are nice things, but they really only kind of address the needs of a certain demographic. Um, some people just need a bus pass. Some people just need to be able to have some relief in terms of how they're going to access all of these different healthcare providers, particularly if they have a complex condition like obesity. And so really thinking through like, how do we, how do we connect these things? How do we connect product with network? How do we make sure that we're building something that is sustainable over the long haul? And I think ultimately if members are provided more for their healthcare dollars, not only will they be receiving a better experience, but they'll they'll have better health outcomes. And I think all of those things together, you know, making sure that that we have all those different pieces aligned, that's a way that we can really drive growth and member experience. So that's just it's one initiative that you can probably tell I'm really, really passionate about. Um, and it drives from some personal experiences of mine. Um, but it's a space that I'm just really interested in working on and growing um, as much as I can going forward. Absolutely, Shelly, your passion certainly comes through in your responses here. And, and um, it's definitely great to have passionate people working in the healthcare space. Um, it sounds really exciting, a lot of the programs that you were talking about, and certainly very important areas, I can imagine. Um, there are so many different um, members and folks within the community that very much could benefit from, from these programs. And myself being from Chicago, I can relate to many of the neighborhoods you're talking about and, and live near them as well. And so it's just, it's awesome to hear that there's such great and extensive programming um, and I'm excited to see the results and how everything evolves over the next couple of years. For sure. We're really looking to improve the patient experience and all of these things, prevention, wellness, holistic care for conditions like obesity, like other conditions. It's just really important. We all have to be working together to make healthcare work. And I, I truly believe that. And that's why it's so important for all of the different stakeholders to be communicating listening to each other and developing solutions together. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been such a fun and interesting discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks, help our audience better do this in a more simplified, personalized and meaningful way. Becker's Healthcare has launched MyBHC. It's your trusted Becker's healthcare experience and more with content, connections, events, and learning opportunities. Join the community free of charge at www.my.beckershospitalreview.com and we'll see you there. Mm -hmm.